This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Young people and adults alike are bombarded with information about COVID-19, and they need to know how to tell science-based facts from fiction. To beat this pandemic, they need to understand the ways in which the virus spreads and prevent it from proliferating. Because SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is host-dependent and must attach to and live inside the cells of other organisms to survive, it's possible to outsmart and inactivate the virus by first understanding the ways in which it spreads and then by engaging in measures to avoid, inactivate, and suppress its spread. Asymptomatic infections contribute to more than 50% of the spread of COVID-19 making transmission hard to control. More alarmingly, recent increases in COVID-19-associated hospitalization rates and the potential for severe disease in adolescents reinforce the importance of prevention strategies, writes the Center for Disease Control, CDC. Giving both young people and adults the knowledge for how to recognize how the virus spreads and how to suppress it through individual actions can help thwart infection on the insidious virus. Through understanding and individual responsibility, young people can shield themselves from the grip of the pandemic and move more confidently toward a safe return to everyday life. Valeria Tellis interviews Sabathri Prasad, the author of What is Coronavirus? How it infects, how it spreads, and how to stay safe. Sabathri Prasad is a writer who tackles issues we face in the global community. Prasad is the author of the Garbology Kids Waste Management Series for Children, which includes Where Do Recyclable Materials Go, Operation Reuse It, and We Can Reduce, Precycle It. She is the founder of Firewater Media Group and Green Solutions Magazine. Meet Sabathri at firewatermediagroup.com. Here's the interview with Sabathri Prasad. In your own words, who is Sabitri Prasad? Sabitri Prasad. So I would say Sabitri Prasad is a caring, very earthy person who really looks at the world uh, from a perspective of equality and social justice. And I always like to have that uh, balance or, you know, connection with nature and the world around me. How did you come to this understanding of yourself, Savitri? Well, I, I would say I came about this at a very young age. Ever since I was a child, um, my, my parents were also very spiritual. And uh, as a child, I grew up connecting to nature, being outdoors a lot, but also looking up at the stars mm, quite yeah. often. Uh, 
Uh And not only looking up at the stars, but looking into myself. And that internal reflection really brings you to ask a lot of questions, not just about the world, you know, around you in a physical sense that way you interact with people, but also the world inside you, in your mind, in the things you believe in, in the things you care about, in the things you think about, um, as well as, you know, looking up at the stars, the way you connect with nature and the way you connect with the things around you. What is that about nature that brings us back to ourselves in a way? You know, that's a really great question. We are living things and we are always surrounded by ourselves and other people. However, and in more modern times, we've been surrounded by things, inanimate objects, concrete buildings in urban settings. And the more and more we build up, these urban settings around ourselves and entrap ourselves into these, you know, structures, we detach ourselves from nature. And I think as we head back into nature and we reflect and we sit down and let's just say you sit down by a lake or you sit down by a tree and all of a sudden you start to focus on the smaller things that are around that tree. You might notice a speck of dirt. You might notice the tree roots. You might notice the little insects around the tree and how they, you know, furrow their way into the soil and uh, live there, you know, go about their daily interactions. And as we kind of focus on the more smaller things and the things we don't normally focus on in our structures, We start to see that there are growing living things out there in nature as well that are making their way. And I think that connection helps us to try to bridge that spirituality between ourselves and nature. What is your understanding of spirituality, Savitri, as of today? Well, there, you know, as as I grew up, I, I was brought up, you know, going to an Anglican church and reading the Bible and practicing that uh, Catholic, you know, spirituality and um, in, in religion and so on. But as I got older, I started to explore other things and understand other, other consciousness and other belief systems and started to see that there is to me, there is in overall, throughout all of these religions, throughout all of these spiritual beliefs, there is an energy source. And that energy source is, is what engulfs your being and how you, how you really cultivate that energy source in yourself and, uh, and, and bring that to the forefront, I believe it's it's something that we need to learn a lot more about as humans. For me, it took, wow, it took many years to gather the courage to look deep within and um, to kind of cultivate this essence energy that you speak of. And it seems to be a practice too, which is kind of interesting. It might become a realization at some point, but then there's still practices that we need to engage in in order to 
keep the flavor of that essence here in the now? It seems to me. Would you like to make a comment about that? Or that well, did I go too far with that <laughs> spiritual ideas? No, I think <laughs> I, I, I could. I think you know, with regards to to the consciousness and subconsciousness. You know, there are many different reflections. For example, as I mentioned, you know, there are all, there are a myriad of different belief systems. And I'll go from one end of the spectrum where in countries, each country has their own belief systems. Um, some derived from some of the, the earliest forms of, of spirituality. And in their culture, in, in a certain culture, each country develops their own nuanced way of practicing that specific spiritual belief system because they are enclosed by their borders and they are really developing over centuries a certain practice among themselves. Now, if we take ourselves out of the country and focus on the globe, we then look at each country now and seeing different types of spiritual systems and understanding between all of these spiritual systems that there are common elements in them. These common elements are things that we all end up living and guiding our lives from. So in a, in a sense, if we were to step outside of the bubble and step up into the universe and look down on earth itself, we can see this one, as I mentioned, energy source and the energy that we have not really come to really understand yet, as a matter of fact. Uh, but then you have other kinds of energy source, which is the power of the energy of our, our brains, which we haven't yet fully mm. understand the full capabilities of how we can mm. um, develop that spirituality within our own selves. In a way, you're bridging science to spirituality. And I have had conversations here on that specifically, like this connection and the underlying, let's say, commonality or common findings between science and spirituality. It has been a very interesting conversation to have, a topic to discuss. Yeah, no, I, I have to say one more thing um, there, because I, for example, in, in religion, in Indian religion, there is this belief of reincarnation. That's one reiteration. But then there was in the uh, more uh, American world there's a there's an author his his name escapes me at the moment however he writes often about hypnosis as well as going into hypnosis uh with uh, a patient or patients to understand their past life regression mm, brian weiss is that correct name? that yeah. is him um brian weiss and he he has i've read you know a number of his books and it's fascinating to me um, in his uh, in his you know research and his his experience. He's gone and he's done this past regression with several patients of his, where he's uh, been able to you know retrieve these memories or so-called memories that these uh, individuals have had, and that kind of 
helped me or makes me wonder, does that have a connection to, you know, the belief system that of reincarnation from certain cultures? So, you know, going back to my my discussion of where I mentioned we only use a certain, you know, percentage of our brain capacity, you know, is this an area where we haven't tapped into yet? Is this something that we need to explore further? Um, how do we understand this spiritual connection within ourselves and our, you know, our, our own, you know, desire to, to want to learn more about ourselves, not just in the physical world, but in, in previous if there are instances like that in previous, you know, um, uh, time periods, I mean, it sounds far-fetched to me right now, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I often try not to discount different types of perspectives, especially since the science has not been able to prove or disprove the discussion about, you know, about that type of energy surrounding that type of uh, spiritual uh, topic. That's what I love about science and scientists, that they're very open. It's an open field, so always kind of open to explore new findings from mm -hmm. different perspectives. That is so beautiful about science. And when you talk about the brain, and I wonder... If, you know, that has been like an ongoing discussion for so long about the connection between the brain and the mind or consciousness, if consciousness is uh, localized in the brain or the brain is just a receptor and the mind, it's something that's abstract. We don't know. It's a mystery. No one knows where thoughts come from. What is your understanding of the brain and the mind, Savitri? Are they connected in that sense of being one or they are separate entities? That's a really deep question. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've read, there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which is highly recommended. And he talks about how the brain, um, is, you know, has two, two different modes of thinking. One is, you know, uh, you know, where the brain starts to, you know, has to, 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 to really take a step back and, and really think about, what it has to do before it actually does it. And then there's the, you know, side of the brain that actually just does. And then, you know, in that respect, science has come a long way with the brain. But I believe, like I said, you know, we only, we only use a, a very small portion of our brain. So understanding how it functions in terms of the understanding of how we ourselves understand ourselves. And what science can understand about us. And I see that science really, there, there are lots of science that focus on the physical aspects of the brain, but then there's the psychological, you know, side of the brain where it can be really conflicting for us to really understand. In taking information in, in many ways, in many forms, in many aspects can help us to manipulate that information in various ways. And sometimes we can trick ourselves into understanding that we understand oh, yeah. when we don't, <laughs> so when true. we may not really understand the full picture, just like science uh, may not understand the full picture when they're focusing on one specific aspect of the brain. So 
I, you know, I, the way I can see this is that, uh, with spirituality, it plays out in such a way where we might, you never really know if you're, if you're, you know, tricking yourselves into believing certain things about spirituality or, you know, you are experiencing, mm. experiencing certain things about spirituality, yeah. if you understand what I mean. And with that in mind, I have a question for you, an open question about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think that is? Well, the human experience is, that is such a broad, broad question. The human experience, I think, is infinite, it's, for me, I, I believe it's infinite um, in the sense that each individual can raise their bar to their own experiences and uh, how you how that individual uh, would like their life to be experienced and shown in this world is is really one one aspect of that experience. It's, it's a really tough question to answer. You know, I find that to be because I, I can, I can start going off into different tangents and different directions, but, um, you know, having an experience can say, I can, I can go from saying, for example, I can experience what my daily interactions or what my daily routine would be, what my daily uh, business life would be. But then I can retreat into myself at night and, you know, in the dark and, and look up and just think to myself, well, who am I? Who, who is this person that is human? Where does my sense of, of origination come from? Not necessarily ancestry, but where do I get all of the things that I believe in all of the experiences in my life, but what are the experiences out there that I want to experience in life that, that would take me up to this higher level of my full self, you know, in terms of being able to give back to the world, uh, being give back, be able to give back to others around me, give, being able to give out, give back to my community. I can go on and on and on, but, uh, it's. I feel un, unless there's a, a focus to that question, yeah. I can. It can be very, very broad for me to answer. It seems like it boils down to the individual, the personal experience. If that experience is joyful, it's peaceful most of the time, and it's helpful to humanity, then it's almost like in itself a fulfillment. And it doesn't really matter what belief systems that person holds or. Uh, what understandings they have about themselves even, it almost becomes a fulfillment in itself if it is accomplished somehow, it seems to me. Agreed. I think uh, I think peace is one of the aspects of spirituality that it needs to be brought out from everyone in a more overt way. Uh, right now, I think it's, it's suppressed. Uh, everyone, I believe... Um, has this wonderful goodness inside of them and you know has that peace loving side of them that they would love to you know I'm sure would love to be able to share with the world and I think um, how do we get that that peace and that that loving brotherhood that that sharing that that caring and that compassionate side of people to the surface that they can become one with each other. And I think that's sort of 
I feel is the ultimate goal is to become one together as one, you know, one people, one, one, uh, ultimate race, uh, of humanity, you know, being able to, to help each other and, and take each other to the next level of how we can build our, on, upon the goodness in ourselves. And I feel that that kind of really ties into really what you're you're saying in and your podcast um premise is that taking all of that goodness and and trying to achieve that spirituality as as an individual but also as a group on a whole for humanity so you wrote the book what is coronavirus mm-hmm. how it infects how it spreads and how to stay safe My initial questions are, how did you become a writer and what was the main inspiration, intention and purpose of writing this book? I became a writer at a very early age. When I was younger, I loved music. I still do, but I, I, I really enjoyed music a lot as a child. More so the lyrics of the music, so much so that I that I started to write my own lyrics without the music And um, then I started to uh, lean more towards poetry. And eventually, um, from poetry, uh, later on, I started to delve into the more serious aspects of, of certain social issues. And uh, about, you know, let's say around 2007, I began producing an online magazine called Green Solutions Magazine which focused on environmental issues. And it was until when I started writing um, those articles in that magazine that I started to realize that I wanted to do a little bit more just to help younger children. I first started off with writing books to my nieces and nephews. And uh, that just turned into something that sparked a little bit more interest Uh, in my my desire to want to do more writing that that's more serious, uh, but also with more clarity that the average everyday person can understand. So as I that that brings me to this book, when we really heard about the virus uh, being declared a pandemic in March of 2020, There was so much news on on the airways, and I glued myself to that to that news because I wanted to learn more. I wanted to understand more. I wanted to grasp exactly what was happening. And what I found was I was getting really just bits and pieces because news stations really just focus on things that are really hot at the moment, but did not go in depth and filling out the bigger picture. So what I wanted to do was fill in those gaps for myself to understand all of the details that would help me to to feel less less fearful, less nervous, less uncertain about what was happening. And that brought me to gathering up all the information, all the research that kept coming out and piecing that together it was actually kind of really like a puzzle to construct a, a full picture of what was going on 
And that took me really, that took me about what, 16 months. The first, the first six months were, were the hardest. And, uh, after that first six months, it really, uh, um, started to write itself because I started to get a better picture, a, a, a better understanding. And I thought to myself, Hey, I can't be the only one that can benefit from this. I, I need to be able to share this with other people. And I started to share, share it with my family and my friends and they were really appreciative of it. So I thought, uh, let's put it out there. Let's, let's offer it to other people so that they too can understand. And I love the way you did it. It's simple and it's fun. I love the illustrations. It makes it so much fun. The audience, it's only teens and children. I know 12. It's 12 up, right? Savitri. The audience is 12 and up. However, I've gotten feedback and comments from so many people saying that even adults uh, can go through this and have a better understanding. They can share it with their, they can read it and then share it with their uh, children under 12, uh, meaning that they can have a, a really good conversation uh, when, when uh, children ask parents, hey, uh, you know, you know, what is this? thing that people are so scared about? What is this, you know, thing that people talk about in school? And as parents read through this, they, they can find really clear answers that they can communicate with their child to help them understand a little bit more about what's going on. He has helped me. So I'm 45. <laughs> as I said, off record, I don't watch the news. And for some reason, I have Kind of my focus, my attention is um, on what I do, and it's mostly nonfiction and spiritual conversations that has to do with joy and all that. So it's kind of different where I come from. So that was very refreshing, especially the effect that you have in your book that says most viruses do not cause diseases. I didn't know that, so I would love for you to explore that. And the other thing I did know was the uh, asymptomatic infections mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I didn't know either. So talk to me for a moment about these two yeah. <laughs> yeah, ideas that I didn't know, facts really. Well, that's that's great that you picked up on that. I'm, I'm glad you're highlighting that because every time, you know, we talk about viruses and diseases, it seems like the overarching emotion out there is that you have to be afraid of them. Many people are not aware that the entire world around us is made up of viruses. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, another big one, a big it's fact. Exactly. <laughs> so it's really, we have viruses in our gut, you know, in our, we have good bacteria, you know, there are lots of viruses in the ocean that we go to swim in all the time. There are viruses in just our normal everyday objects, which we touch. So it's really helpful to understand, and I think, you know, on a, on a mental level, it's really helpful to understand that there are viruses everywhere and that there are good viruses out there that we depend on and that they depend on us. And so it's, it's almost like placing the evil, you know, villain tag on viruses and not necessarily seeing the good side uh, of viruses. And I'm glad that we were able to highlight that just now. 
And with regards to the asymptomatic, I think, um, you know, when we talk about airborne viruses, okay, there are a number of things that we learned about this virus where it has three different stages or three different appearances to, you know, in people. Uh, the first is the symptomatic instance where that is equal to, you know, the virus plus any symptoms that you can physically see in a person. The pre-symptomatic stage where someone is infected with the virus, however, they currently do not display physical symptoms. That comes a little bit later as the virus multiplies within that person. And then the last one is what you were referring to, which is the asymptomatic mention, where it's someone is infected with the virus, but they never show any symptoms at all. They are, for some reason, their body seems to suppress or can, it almost as if the body fights the symptoms or can handle mm -hmm. the intensity of the virus replication right. within their system. Yeah, that is interesting to know because that's the reason why the coronavirus is very dangerous. It became dangerous, right, Savitri? Because we can be infected and we can pass that on, infect others that's without correct. knowing. That's correct. A lot of, many people are unaware or, you know, who are, many people who are asymptomatic may be unaware that they may even have the virus because they show no symptoms and Uh, unless the only the only way that they are able to identify if they are positive is by testing and using uh, the either a PCR test as described in the book or or one of the uh, the antigen tests. So the antigen tests are rapid tests and the PCR tests are molecular tests. Uh, both are done by, by nasal swabs, but I believe that as science advances, they have uh, better ways, uh, they may find better ways of, you know, being less, you know, intrusive to someone's um, inner, you know, nasal cavity. <laughs> right, uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another question I have about that is, what happens then when somebody is infected, but it's not really displaying the symptoms, would you say that that person's immune system, it's strong, the body's able to handle the multiplication of viruses? That indication would be that that person's uh, immune system has been able to handle the virus in a way that the body does not react to it. However, I wouldn't go as far to say that that might be something that the person will never experience again. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, yeah. it's not yet understood, right. um, I believe, by science that, you know, the person may not be experiencing or may not experience other symptoms later on. For, for example, um, I'll, I'll, you know, you might have read somewhere in the book where the issues with uh, people who are known as long haulers um, post-COVID syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So if someone has been infected, generally asymptomatic people might have antibodies and that they build up that they can defeat the virus from. 
However, once someone is infected, it is not yet known whether or not they could have symptoms three months from now or six months from now that may affect a different part of their body. So generally with people who are symptomatic, they have been seeing um, people who have had mild infections and some severe infection where they have uh, later on developed this uh, symptomatic issue called long COVID, uh, technically related, uh, referred to as post-COVID syndrome. And uh, they're feeling lethargic or have had um, issues with their um, migraines or brain um, functionality. So it's kind of a, a, a really a real mystery to scientists so far. And they're still they're they're gaining grounds in terms of understanding the the long haulers and post COVID syndrome a little bit better. But it's it's still something that is also you know showing up very differently in different people. So that makes it even more challenging. And I would imagine that people who have immunocompromised systems might also be higher at higher risk than people who have uh, a healthy system. But then again, I have heard instances and I have seen instances in, you know, in reports where there are healthy individuals who have succumbed to the virus and have had, you know, uh, who have showed symptoms and not necessarily have, you know, were asymptomatic. So, these are all a lot of the mysteries that are still surrounding the virus that are that scientists are currently working on. Why do you think the coronavirus, actually just for clarification, because I don't know, I just wanted the audience to know as well. Is there a difference between these two terms, SARS, uh, COV, and then two, and COVID-19, or they are one and the same? There is a difference, um, and there is a big difference. Uh, SARS COVID-2 is the name of the virus. COVID-19 is the name of the disease caused by the virus. So I think uh, in the initial reporting and discussions that we've seen on in the media and so on about this virus, that was something that confused many people. And I, and I think this is why it was so important to do uh, another reason why it was important to do this book was to clarify these terminologies to help people to understand the virus is the actual particle that enters your body and infects you. You start to, once the, the virus starts to infect you and infect your organs, Mainly, it's a respiratory virus, so therefore, uh, it, it mostly infects the respiratory system. So as it infects your respiratory system, that infection, uh, as the infection happens within your body, your body starts to react to that, and you get a fever, you have high temperature, you start to show it physically. You start to, you know, to have the loss of smell, the, you know, uh, and, and the other symptoms that are unique to this virus. And those symptoms together as a whole is what is referred to as the disease of the virus. And so the name that 
the World Health Organization has given the disease is to to really distinguish it from the virus itself and to help you know scientists discuss the virus without having to have that confusion among themselves is to call it COVID-19, which stands for Coronavirus Disease uh, 2019, which is the origin of uh, the year of the origin of the virus. And another question I have for you is, what is the main difference between the coronavirus disease and the influenza, the, the common cold that we usually have, most of us have and have died from as well? Sure. So the difference between the common cold and the coronavirus is that the common cold is basically caused by several other types of viruses. Yeah. Uh, one, there, previous, there have been one virus called the rhinovirus. There's also other viruses, uh, previous coronaviruses as well that are, that are common, you know, uh, cold viruses. There's also, uh, adenovirus, uh, that causes the common cold. But these viruses are milder in nature. Uh, they are also, um, have different symptoms. The symptoms could include sneezing, coughing, chest discomfort muscle pain, body aches, but sometimes you might get some of the symptoms that might be related to or that might be similar to a COVID-19, which are shortness of breath, loss of smell, sometimes fatigue and headache. But the complications really result in mostly pneumonia and uh, sometimes uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome. Which is mostly, which is what's mostly associated with coronavirus. But in terms of the COVID-19, COVID-19 is more severe and it's, it has a much deadlier result in, in its infection, uh, with, with someone. And that is a huge difference from the common cold. Although the common cold can be, you know, can be, uh, you know, associated with a different type of coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is, you know, really has a, a stronger effect on our respiratory system. Is that one of the worst kind of uh, viruses, would you say, in existence as far as science goes? Or are there other deadly viruses out there? Well, it's, I would emphatically say it's, it's not the worst virus out there. It's, it's, it's one of those, you know, coronaviruses that infect individuals. However, there are more deadly viruses out there, but those, those viruses are well monitored by the World Health Organization and organizations like the the CDC Center for Diseases Control for example there is a virus called Ebola that's out there and um it's been present in some african countries uh, as well as actually uh, reared its head in the united states at one at some point in in the past in reston virginia virginia so 
That's one. Another one that's even more deadly than the Ebola virus is the Marburg virus. Um, and that, you know, also has been um, seen in certain places around Africa as well. However, the difference between a SARS-CoV-2 and, you know, something like an Ebola and a Marburg is that uh, SARS-CoV-2 would be more or less in a level three containment as and uh, something like um, a, an Ebola and a Marburg virus would be more like a level four containment. And when you say containment, what does it mean exactly? Um, containment meaning that in in, vi in virology uh, world, in the virology world, where scientists study these viruses, they build labs that they can study these viruses in. And in these labs, they divide or separate the viruses into levels, uh, level one, level two, level three, and level four containment. So when you go in to study a virus, if it's a level one, uh, that containment is not as strict as a containment in a level four. In a level four containment, I, I believe I showed a, a small picture of of it in the in the book uh, in a certain part of the book where we're talking about um, where did SARS come from, uh, and the level four containment, the virologists would have on equipment that protects them all over. Uh, almost like a spacesuit. It looks mm, like almost yeah. like a spacesuit. Right. So it, it yeah. protects them from that uh, infection or that contamination from the virus. That makes me think about the hurricanes. I live in mm -hmm. Florida, category <laughs> one, two, three. And yeah, that makes sense. Another question is about this relationship between the SARS-CoV-2 and animals. Because I have read or heard from family members that started... In animals, and then now we just got to transfer it to humans. How did that happen? So, uh, so basically, SARS-CoV-2. It is believed that uh, the virus was first identified in bats, and there generally, when bats are thought to have passed that that virus that they contain or that, that's within them, into an intermediate host. The intermediate host may have then transferred that virus to a human. That's one pathway. Another pathway could be that, for example, someone goes into a cave that has these bats that had coronavirus, and that person uh, somehow inadvertently got infected from either feces that was left over in the cave, um, or saliva or some other type of transmission within the cave, either breathing it in because it is an airborne uh, pathogen. And from the directly from the bat, it transferred to a human host. Another, another way that people have thought that it might have transferred was through 
animals in a seafood market. So that would also be similar to the intermediary host where it comes, you know, generally from a bat and then goes into uh, a, an intermediary animal and then uh, transferred to humans. So, and then the, obviously then there's the, the idea of the um, lab leak theory. So, and, and we all know the controversy behind that. So until there is scientific evidence, right now, everything is, is literally just speculation right now. Now we have the vaccine. So most of us are getting vaccinated and we're still using the masks. Uh, like my husband and I, we still do that mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. But what are the other, other measures we can take to keep ourselves safe in savagery? Sure. Um, masks are definitely, I, I would say, one of the first things that uh, that would be the most important because it is an airborne pathogen. I think if we think about it logically and sensibly, if something is airborne, how do you protect yourself? You protect yourself by trying to prevent that airborne particle or pathogen from getting into your body. And how do you do that? Is through a well-designed mask that is specifically made to protect you from these pathogens. And and I would definitely, as you're hearing more recently in the news, um, the KN95 masks are specifically designed for this purpose, to be able to filter out about 95% of the pathogens that that you're breathing in. It, they also have this static electric charge that that repels the particles. So so this is this is one thing that's really important to to start with. The second thing that I think that we all know about and we've all heard at the the onset of this pandemic in, you know, multiple uh news uh, outlets or from multiple news outlets would be being able if to to take care of yourself by washing your hands frequently. It's it's a simple concept, uh, just like how you would go outside and um, let's say you know there's exhaust from cars and, and pollution from from vehicles out there on the highway. You come home and you do not want those exhaust and particles to be in soot to be sitting on your skin. Similarly, you 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 just want to wash it off and and make sure that all of that those chemicals that that's flying in the air is is really cleaned off of your your body. Similar uh, thinking would would have you going in that same direction to as soon as you get home, you know, go to the sink, wash your hands uh, carefully, wash your face carefully to make sure that your skin is. And, and these particles um, that you perhaps may or may not have been exposed to, but uh, to be on the safe side, you know, uh, you would want to make sure that you wash your hands properly. Now, if you're not outside or outdoors where you would have that luxury to wash your hands, uh, I'm sure everyone is now carrying mm-hmm. some sort of hand sanitizer with mm-hmm. them in their vehicle or True. in their purse <laughs> or about somewhere. It. <laughs> so so yeah. that is uh-huh. sort of the alternative in the in the event that you don't have that full um, access to to water and soap 
that will help you wash wash your hands. You know, things if you don't have for if you don't have sanitizer, you feel that you might be around people. Maintain, and you're in a in an environment where there are a number of people around. Maintain your distance. Um, if you're indoors, um, open up some windows, get some fresh air into the room. Uh, if you're if you you're in a place where you can get outdoors, um, if you're going to a restaurant, you know, sit outdoors in the open open air on plein air uh, instead of being inside of the restaurant if it's packed with people. You know, I, I think it's important to know that vaccination is very important, but there are also the idea that, you know, sometimes people are vaccinated and their antibody levels have, uh, you know, have waned. And so you want to be also very careful that you are still practicing your basic things like wearing your mask uh, around people who are still vaccinated uh, because if they, a vaccinated person can still get the virus. And if that person gets the virus and they're actually shedding some virus, uh, they may shed less virus, but if they're still shedding the virus and, uh, and your antibodies have waned, um, then, then you have the susceptibility of possibly contracting the virus as well. So those are, you have to also be able to, what my point is that you also have to be able to think carefully about how, you know, um, the situation that you're in, uh, when you were vaccinated, when is your next booster shot, uh, how long it's been since your booster shot and, you know, how many other people are out there and, you know, when have they been vaccinated? How long has their you know booster shot lasted? So just being sensible about the things that are around you and understanding that I, I know it can get complicated, but I think if if we you know practice the basic things and make it a routine, make it a habit, you know, they say that, you know, a habit forms every 60 days. So if you practice within 60 days, uh, it becomes a habit and it doesn't seem like such a burden any longer. It's very much common sense, as you said. It's a sensible thing to do, but we tend to forget. So this is a beautiful reminder. Like I'm thinking here that sometimes I go to my family's house and everything's closed, the windows, and we're all breathing the same air. So mm -hmm. that doesn't seem safe. I, I would say that I tend to be a little extra cautious. And, you know, when I talk about uh, SARS and, and coronavirus disease, COVID-19, I tend to be a little bit more careful. And the reason for that is because I have a parent who is highly immunocompromised and her immunocompromised system and situation has led her to get the vaccine, but she was, she had a very severe allergic reaction to the vaccine. So right now she does not have any protection measures that she can take. And so just my consciousness of her situation helps me to be a little bit more proactive in the things that I do to protect her. And, you know, if we all really consider the people around us and think about those people who we care about the most and think about what we can do to protect them, then I think we should be really in that headspace to do the things that 
would benefit uh, uh, ourselves as well as the people around us. Beautiful message to another one, Savitri. It goes back to the idea we were discussing earlier about this sense of um, spirituality that it is in each one of us, and we can bring this to expression so we can navigate this reality in such a way, doing what is good for us and others at the same time. Thank you for that reminder towards the end. It kind of brought everything together again. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your knowledge, and everything that you're doing to help yourself and others. It's truly beautiful. Thank you. Well, I thank you very much for having me on to be able to discuss this. And um, I really think um, we all have it in us to really reach that point. And I think if we kind of remind ourselves that that there is good inside all of us, I think we, we should be, you know, on that path to, to achieving that spirituality. Before we say goodbye, I want to thank you again for your presence and your healing presence in this reality. And also, where can we find more information about you, your work, products, books, services, and future projects? Well, I really thank you for having me. It's been such a huge pleasure to, to be able to speak with you and, uh, and you know, understand a little bit more about, you know, myself as well as the, uh, the discussion that we were having. Um, we can find more uh, on the book at my website, and that's www.firewatermediagroup.com. If you go to that website, um, you'll find everything about the book as well as uh, any way to contact me. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well as Twitter and Facebook. In addition, you can find the book wherever books are sold, such as uh, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and any major outlets. I would say one thing, though. Right now, your listeners would have a treat. The book is actually now on sale for $2.99 until the end of February. So if anyone out there would be interested in grabbing up the electronic version of it, um, they can find it on Amazon as well as uh, Apple and uh, Kobo. Ah, wonderful. I'll have that note and I'll have the link to your website on the podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, Sabatry, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Valeria. It was my pleasure and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sabatri Prasad and her work, please visit firewatermediagroup.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.